welcome to a beautiful faith where we give voice to all that makes faith beautiful. Not some, not most, not much of what makes faith beautiful, but all of what makes faith beautiful, which means that we're going to be running this show for a very long time. Henry, indeed, there is no escape, especially according to all social distancing guidelines. Yes, there, Henry, there. We are so social distancing this recording right now that we're not even in the same state. Nope. We are in the same Zoom call, though, and I don't know if COVID-19 can go across uh, Zoom calls. If, if, if so, then... Well, if you didn't spit so much onto the microphone, uh, I would not be at only the Patreon, Only our Patreon people can see that. No one else can see that. Um, no, if, 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 if it could be you know, transmitted via the internet, then every business using Zoom or Microsoft Teams for their business meetings is, uh, is in trouble. <laughs> You know, I wonder how much, I, I can't wait to see the statistics. How much business do you think Zoom is exploding? With oh, right yeah, no, Zoom and Microsoft Teams both. Like Microsoft just apparently announced that a feature that they had been working on for literally years has just been fast-tracked because of all of this. Like they're starting to completely reorient their priority list in order to accommodate the giant influx of business that has just come their way. So they just zoomed ahead on their project. Yeah, I hate you. Um, now, the, the, well, the real, <laughs> the real thing is going to be, okay, what happens when society opens back up are, you know, and everyone's working in offices again, you know, these, are these still going to be used well? Um, and I would hope this would actually start a trend where people would realize, oh, you can do a certain amount of work on these platforms and we don't have to be as office centric, but absolutely. Then again, organizations tend to have very slow learning curves and people like nostalgia and they will make plans accordingly, aka yep. the church. Well, I'm I'm curious to see what how how things will change after this is over. But um it is like, you know, whether it's businesses, whether it's church, whatever that is, I, I'm just I'm really excited to see how this changes the game uh, across the board for content creation. For church communities, for work, for how uh, one of the one of my favorite things I've seen on the internet is a lot of people are basically saying that um, they're you know how if you sit in interviews like a job interview the interviewer will will sometimes ask like do you have any questions for me um, the new question that everyone is going to ask is how did you treat your employees during the pandemic and that that mm. answer will now determine whether or not this is an institution I want to work for. Or an organization I want to work for. And I think that's actually really cool. Um, I think that gives a very, very concrete and solid benchmark for, you know, a, you know, a, a flag that you can say, yeah, this is a green flag or no, this is because like, honestly, if you give me a company that treated their employees terribly during a pandemic, but paid well outside of one outside of emergencies versus an employee that, versus an employer that paid okay or good, um, but treated employees fantastically, ensured their job stayed you know, whatever, then yeah, give me the, give me the okay pay with job security and everything else, because I don't want to work for a company that just sees its employees as a number. Um, mm, that, so, so this would be another point where we can see signs one way or the other, what decision yes, we should make. Exactly. Um, it is a, well, it is a that sign. sounds like a very interesting sign that we should probably transition into talking about discerning the signs. Yes, absolutely. When it comes to and I'm excited about this because um, everyone else is talking about COVID-19. And yes, we opened about it, but that's it. We're done with it now. Um, this is this is the podcast that you can come Which, to. By the way, you... it is not a sign from God against something. God did no. not create COVID-19. Absolutely. Um, but we, 
this we hope that this show can be a break for you um a break for you from all of that and just kind of a way to decompress a bit and while we talk about still something very important De- decompress you want this to be a ventilator for their faith please 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 stop please <laughs> please stop um i hate you so we are talking about um we are talking about discerning god's will today um or this week whatever whenever you're listening to it tonight to this morning and whatever um and by the way if you've got plenty of time on your hands tell a lot of people about this podcast yeah exactly um we are actually we're growing pretty fast faster than we thought we would be but um we do want your help in growing so tell friends about this if they're looking for podcasts to listen to during this time like make sure to mention us leave a review on itunes so that when other people go to find us uh they can they can see that other people like it as well but yeah help us out and tell a friend about it for sure if they're looking for comfort and mercy, they're either in Los Angeles or New York or here on the podcast. Yes, but um, yeah, we're talking about God's will. Now, normally on this show, I don't pick topics based on what annoys me. <laughs> um, however, this is something, this topic today is something that I have, it's a pattern that, uh, that I've kind of recognized throughout my life and throughout the last probably decade of my life that has really kind of, uh, it it, for lack of a better word, has triggered me. Um, and so it is something that I actually feel pretty passionately about, but it is something that is also incredibly relevant to a reconstructive journey uh, within Christianity because there is a, when really this, what we're talking about today speaks to, I think, any journey where the destination is undefined. I think that is any faith journey where the destination is undefined. I think that is where uh, where this speaks to, or not even faith, even a life journey. If if I don't know where I'm supposed to end up, whether that is in what I believe, what my faith looks like, what job I'm working, what school I go to, what person I marry or date, uh, you name it, what car I buy, what house I buy, where I live, the this is something that is relevant to uh, to us. Because I think one of the hardest things that Christians face in today and and when i say hardest i don't mean like literally most difficult but i mean it's just it's just one of the most kind of complicated ones and most ethereal ones it's it's just kind of hard to to pin down which is discerning god's will figuring out what what do what does god want me to do what whether it's what decision does he want me to make or what direction does he want me to go what initiative does he want me to take on you know you name it um and the reason it's so hard is because it, it, it is so nebulous. A sign could be anything that you consider a sign, right? Like, um, I, there's a song. It, it's very subjective. Yeah. They're, they're literally, there's a song. It's, it's one of my favorite kind of uh, spiritual or religious songs. It's called Symbols and Signs by a Beautiful Eulogy. Um, and it's featuring propaganda. It is a rap song. Um, it's hip-hop style. And in, in propaganda's feature vocal at the end, he's basically talking about, he's like, uh, my life looks like the book of Ruth and Esther, um, not Moses. And this idea of God, having to see God work in the everyday and the normal everyday working of life. And one of, the, one of his lines, he says, remember when I saw that leaf fall and I was positive it was God's call. And that's kind of how a lot of us or a lot of Christians tend to, to deal with or handle signs is like I was driving and I was praying about this and I saw this billboard that just said, don't worry. 
or I saw this thing and, or, you know, this person came to my door or this thing came into my mail slot or my mailbox or this check arrived or, you know, it's just this, it is very much this subjective sign that is only assigned to the person who was looking for one. And, uh, that tends to be the determining factor. Um, which, and don't get us wrong, I think we'll talk about this at some point. I, we don't want to necessarily discount that things like that can happen, but they should definitely be the sprinkles on your muffin. They shouldn't be the cake itself. Yeah, that's, if you, that's essentially the entire point of this episode. It's not that discerning God's will is bad or asking for signs is bad, but rather, how do we actually approach this and what do we, what are we, um, like, how are we handling this as a whole? Not just, not just asking for God's will. Um, so... The reason this is important on the reconstructive journey is because one of the things that a lot of us pray for, I know I prayed for it. Uh, Henry, I don't know if you if you prayed for this. I'm I'm sure I'm I'm pos I'm kind of positive that you're sure are sure that you did this. Those were words that I said, I promise. Um, <laughs> wow, um, that tested positive for uh, I didn't know what you one said. One of the things that many do in their renewed prayer life when they're coming back to God is that they pray over major decisions and major theological conclusions, right? They'll pray like, I, you know, God, help me figure out what I believe. You know, what do you want me to believe about this? What is, what is your word? What is the Bible telling me about this? Uh, bring me to a church that will show me the truth. Bring me to a community that will, that will show me your love, right? We, we look for these, these things. And so there's this, there's this, there's this genuine intent to follow, um, to follow God's will. And I think it's a good intent. I think it's a good thing to want to follow God's will for our lives and figure out what that is and, and to end up where God wants us to end up. Like, absolutely. Um, so I, that's kind of my intro into this. And yes, there were words there, I promise. Um, and that was a coherent thought. Uh, just listen to it in half speed. And uh, yeah, we're calling it con- <laughs> convoluted. 20. Yeah. Convoluted 20. Um, well, and it was just the first 10 minutes of the show. But yeah, the idea being, as you're praying for God's will, what should that look like and how do we navigate those waters? And there can be a real fear um, from people who are doing this, who are praying for God's will of falling into error. Um, they, you know, they don't want to end up somewhere where God didn't want them to, to end up or believing something that God didn't want them to end, believe, right? Because if they've left, and this is, this is a big one. Um, if they've left a faith that they thought was harmful, if they've left a church community that, that was harmful or dangerous or just in terrible error and just had a completely wrong picture of who God was, then of course someone is going to be fearful that the next place they end up may end up being the exact same, just with a different set of beliefs. And so there is, you know, there's a fear of falling into a faith that is just as harmful or dangerous as, as the last version of faith that, that we had before. And like, those are real fears that drive our desire to see a sign from God, to know that this is the direction uh, that I want to go. This is the direction that God is calling me to go and I must go and I'm compelled to go in. So yeah, I don't know, Henry, what are your initial thoughts on all of that? Um, and, and how are you feeling so far? Oh, I'm feeling great. No cough, no Good. fever, no, no anything. No, it's, yes, this is going to be a great topic to discuss because in most faith communities, I mean, maybe we should have been clear what we mean by prayer to start with. We're assuming you're coming from a Judeo-Christian yeah. background, obviously. And by prayer, we usually mean a, a means of communicating with deity, Yeah, which to most people is a conversational style, usually directed towards the deity. But, you know, certain religions obviously have certain postures 
and things that you're to do or incenses that burn or are certain states of mind you're supposed to be in to do it. But basically, most faiths that believe in a deity have some means or process or situation to communicate with them. And it always begs the question when I'm doing that, is it working? How do I know that they're talking back to me? If they talk back, how do I interpret it correctly? And what do I do about it? And obviously, the bigger the situation in life, the more inclined we are to then want to ask for input. Most of us don't usually walk around and get up. I'll just be honest. I don't wake up every morning and pray, God, what should I wear today? Mm. Uh, maybe that would be helpful sometimes when I step I mean, out. I was, was going to say, I should have said, that? it looks like you don't. Um, yeah, <laughs> miss that yeah, opportunity. Uh, yes, yes, you, you, you missed that one. Like, I missed the color coordinating. But anyway, the point is, yeah, I don't normally do that. But when it gets to something major, like, should I take this job? Or should I start a relationship with this person? Or should I buy this car? Whatever. That it's, It tends to be the larger moments that we all, in some way, shape, or form, no matter what emphasis we place on prayer or not, at least think about doing so. Yep or give it a try. And there's a lot of confusion that comes with that and a lot of misunderstanding about what that means. And if you go on the internet or any other number of places, there's almost different answers for every religious figure that you ask about it. Yeah. So I'm really excited that we get to kind of tear this apart and, and hopefully give some clarity. You know, I, I, I pray it will be a blessing. I, one of the, one of the funniest things that has, that happened recently, um, was a friend of I a friend and I were talking about um the Pope's recent uh encouragement. Now granted, I didn't go verify that this actually happened, though I'm pretty sure it happened, uh, which was the Pope recent I pray you're uh, right. The the Pope basically said, Hey, in light of the fact that you can't go to confession because of stay at home orders or whatever, and we can't have church, uh just go directly to God. And, oh, I've seen the memes yeah. and people are like, Martin Luther say, yeah, what? literally, uh, my friend was like, all right, pack it up, boys. We did it. The Protestant revolution is over. We're all Catholic again. Uh, was, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I promise, I mean, no disrespect to our Catholic friends. That was just really funny to me because that was, that's one of the major issues within the Protestant revolution and, and reformation is that. Um, so just, just really, really funny to me was that, that moment in that interaction I had with my friend the other day. Um, which is very interesting because to be, to be fair, probably some of our Roman Catholic listeners would point out, it wasn't even Martin Luther who came up with the idea that you could dump confession. Martin Luther was actually still a fan of confession. Yeah. Yeah. So it shows also that Protestants don't know their own history because they're making it sound like it's Martin Luther who was like, yes, you can go directly to God, he was. Yeah. not to a priest. Well, no, he was very much and still in favor of the priesthood. He don't conflate where righteousness comes from, from how prayers and, and the sacraments are administered, but that's a different yeah, topic. Yeah, no, that, that topic. absolutely is. Um, but I do appreciate the, the historical clarification. Um, so I think, I think a good place to kind of dive into this is first talking about the idea that praying for God's will is actually a biblical thing. Praying that God would, would, it is? would make, uh, you know, would make his intent known or his will known to us is something that happens repeatedly over scripture um, and, uh, people submitting to whatever that, that will be, that is a regular occurrence, uh, throughout scripture. And so I think, I think one of the, the beautiful things that we can do here is point to some of those specific moments. And so I had one that was entirely wrong and I had my, my, my references crossed. So I've just crossed that oh, one out. I'm just going to cross that one out. I wrote Gideon in the ax head. 
Uh, and that was uh, that was a totally those are uh, two different stories. Gideon and Axe Head, a floating Axe Head, are two different stories. So in my notes, Henry, I so so do you want to tell them both of nope, those stories? Nope, I don't. Directly? Nope, just go just Google Gideon and then Google and uh, and Google uh, and Google Axe Head separately, obviously, and go have fun. Um, I'm just not Axe Fleece. Axe Fleece, yes. Um, that's in my notes is Axe Fleece because I those are the two stories that I've confused. So we're just not talking about those, but I am tattling on myself because that's part of what happens when uh, we're podcasting. Uh, but no, I think uh, one of the first examples that I thought of here was the disciples drawing lots uh, in the book of Acts to determine who the the, the replacement disciple would be. Uh, Which is a really bad example of prayer, And gambling. Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, that's essentially what they did. Just the, what the stakes were, who's the next disciple? Not uh, not someone's, you know, uh, lunch that day or, you know, dinner money uh, or date night money. But yeah, it's, it's also a good example of of misunderstanding what the answer could have been or being unprepared for the answer. Yes, prayer. absolutely. Because that's actually going to be, you know, what Ryan's referring to is that when Judas died, they went to go find another disciple and they decided to cast lots and it fell on a guy named Matthias. And they chose him. And if you're not sure if you've ever heard that name before or you didn't remember that name, that's okay. It's only mentioned once. And it's then yep. when they cast lots and you never hear about the guy again, which is nothing against Matthias. I'm sure he did some great stuff and it'd be cool to have those stories, but we don't. But interestingly enough, the disciples ask God, they're like, hey, who should be the new disciple? And then they just looked around and like, well, here's a couple of good guys that have some good character and we're around. This might be good. They don't even bother to ask God, should there be some others? You know, they haven't obviously studied, yeah. you know, how David was selected or anything else from their history. And they choose Matthias, and they never would have been prepared for God's answer because the Apostle Paul in the New Testament repeatedly says that he was called by God to be an apostle, mm. to be one of the twelve. Well, at that time, he was Saul, who was persecuting the church. Yeah. So can you imagine if they were like, God, who do you want it to be? And he's like, Saul of Tarsus. And they're like, what? Are you saying Matthias was a, was a placeholder disciple? I, I don't want to say what God used him <laughs> for or not. I'm just, I am only trying to say, defending Matthias here, I am only trying to say that Paul makes the argument quite clearly through two thirds of the New Testament that, I mean, he uses the explicit language that he was called an apostle. And he's not just playing semantics with the language because he even then anchors many of those claims to the fact that he hung out with the other 11. Yeah. And he always says with the others, I think there's, I'd have to look it back up, but I think at one point he almost refers to them as the 11, which is interesting again against Matthias. Sorry, dude, if that's really the case or if my memory's failing me, which it might. But my point is he's always claiming he had interaction with the 12. He was always trying to go see the 12, you know, the the apostles in Jerusalem, and he was claiming that direct apostolic authority as one of them, not just yeah. a wider disciple, as we would call it. So I've just always taken that to mean, can you imagine if that is really who then was selected? Yeah. Man, the disciples really messed up that well, prayer. Well, you know, and th there's another, I mean, there is another instance of drawing lots, and that's when Jonah is on the, Jonah's on the ship. Um, because that's exactly the illustration we yes. want to Exactly. But no, here's what I mean. What I'm saying is many, many people have gone to God in, in some form of prayer or some sort of, even if it's a what not to do moment in seeking God's will, many people in scripture 
have actually gone to God in, in some way and asked for some sort of sign that this is the direction that we should go. Um, another, uh, I mean, Jesus sitting in, um, Jesus sitting in the garden of Gethsemane on his last night in his prayer. If, if it be your will to take this cup from me, um, knowing that it's not going to be God's will to do so in this moment that, that God's, I mean, yes, God wants, would love for this to not have to be a thing, but in that moment, he's not going to do that. Um, the, you know, even Jesus prays, uh, in regards to God's will. Um, and, and he prays the same thing three times, by the way, yes. which the only reason you would say it three times in a row is if you didn't like the answer the first Correct. two times. <laughs> um, yeah, you're just hoping, <laughs> uh, you're just hoping for, for a different outcome. So, it, you know, those, those are a couple of the examples. Some are an example of what not to do, which we're going to get into in depth later, not the examples themselves, but just what not to do. Um, uh, but in depth, like uh, Henry, I want to, I want to give the bulk of this time to you because, uh, we're missing a giant historical lecture in this episode. So this is your chance. This is your moment to, uh, to give us the info that you want to give us in a way that you, it, that only you can. Why do you think it has to be a historical lecture just because we've skipped the first test? <laughs> Everyone, I, what he's referring to is he's looking at our notes, and we were all choosing biblical examples, and it just so happened, because I looked at his, and except for his little axe fleece thing, most of his were in the New Testament, I decided just to balance it, and I was just going to go only with the First Testament, well, which some of yeah, you... Yeah, but no, I wasn't talking it, only about that. I was just saying, there's no big, like, in this age of history, we were like this, and then in this age of history, we were like this, and this is why. Um, so this is your chance instead to give us three examples or four examples or however many you want. That's all. I just, yeah. I just want to give you space uh, okay. to be you. I was like, I was like if, you want, if you want to get into a historical analysis, then we could get to the point where there was a time where Christianity didn't feel like they would individually pray to God. But, you know, the 7th through the 14th centuries notwithstanding, uh, still sticking with our, our biblical stories, I wanted to throw a, another example out there that would also give us some gender diversity. We have a woman named Hannah mm. in the First Testament. And this was an example of someone praying for something we would consider as definitely pretty major. She is married to an individual, and she's not, unfortunately, his only wife. So that's another topic we could have for another time. But she could not have a child. And this was just really eating her up. And so she just began to pray earnestly and excessively for it. And she was weeping so bad and praying so much about it. It's actually kind of sad and interesting all at the same time. When the, there's a, the story goes in the beginning of the book of Samuel, which we commonly split in first and second Samuel, but in first Samuel, right at the beginning, she goes to the temple, she goes to church to pray all of this out, and she's weeping, and she's praying, and she's like muttering it kind of quietly under her breath at times. She's going so much that when the priest sees her, he thinks she's drunk and runs up basically to shoo her out of church for being like a horrible illustration and distraction that why are you praying like that, right? He doesn't even think she's praying, he thinks she's yep. drunk. Well, she wasn't. She was just really intent on praying for the Lord that she could have a child. And she makes this promise. She says, Lord, which, by the way, this is a great illustration as well for this point. How many times do most of us, when we're in a major crisis, not only do we try prayer if we haven't done it before, but we do just like Hannah. We always make promises to God what we will do if he would just answer the way yep. we want. Because that's exactly what she does. She basically goes, if you would give me a child, I will dedicate it to you when he is old. Yep. 
right? I'll just, I'll give it back to you. I just want a child. And I can think of times in my own life where I've been going through something major and I really want to get out of the consequences of something. Let's just be honest yep. or, or, or something else. And I'll just be like, Lord, if you would just do this, I would serve you yep. or I would give you this or I would do that. And I'm not saying that promising to God to do stuff is necessarily bad. And in Hannah's case, she actually does follow through with what she promised because God does give her a child, Samuel, and she does end up turning him over to the church, interestingly enough, to the very priest who thought she was drunk. And he ends up being a lot better than that priest. But that being said, I'm not saying that those promises don't work or God can't use those or whatever, but nine out of 10 times, usually we don't follow through with them. At least if I'm being honest to myself, you make this big promise and then the thing resolves itself and you just kind of go, okay, good. I can, I can move on. But anyway, so that's, that's the first illustration right there is Hannah. Mm. A second one, again, trying to keep with more of a kind of major theme is the character of Daniel. And his book is just filled with prayers all the way around. But two that really stand out to me is one, obviously it's implied, it's not written there, but I would think Daniel did a lot of praying. Actually, let me rephrase this. One thing I wanted to talk about Daniel is he's also an example of prayers that you give and you don't get the answers you're looking for. Yep, 100%. Yeah, so for example, Daniel starts off, now I can give a little bit of historical lecture. Daniel chapter one, he gets carried off into Babylonian captivity with several other young Hebrews. Now, why I bring that up is all the Bible says is they're carried off into captivity. And then it also implies part of what happened to them as part of that process. Cause it says now they're being remanded to the chief of the eunuchs. Well, in between there is what we know historically about how this would happen. Daniel is most likely somewhere around 16 or 17 years old when this happens. And the way captivity was usually done back then, the way you do this is not only would you find all the best and brightest or the best looking or, or whatever, but the males, they would immediately castrate them. That sounds where pleasant. the term unit comes yeah. from. Well, what's even worse is it's not just that process. The way that a lot of... We see from historical texts that are extra-biblical, it means it has nothing to do with the Bible, but they're from the same period from other texts. One of the ways they did this castration was they didn't capture them, take them to Babylon, castrate them, and then put them somewhere. They would put them in a line, chain them up, strip them down castrate them while they were standing there and then march them back to the land they were captured while they were still bleeding out. That's going to be a, no, that's just... going to be a big nope from me. Everyone, thank you for joining us. Um it's yeah. been a good run for all seven episodes. <laughs> yes, just kidding. Yes, yes. Now now my history has gone too far. But anyway, my point I'm trying to make is can you imagine going through this and then you have to survive a couple thousand mile march across the desert like this? And my point is, I would think there is a whole ton of prayer that is going on at this point on Daniel's part. I know this is an assumption, but from what I see, his prayer life and the rest of the book, I would assume this to be the case. Can you imagine, you first pray, please don't let us fall captive, we're your chosen people, and they get captive. You know, they're captured, so that didn't work. Then, oh, please spare me from death. Well, that kind of worked, but then you feel like dying because they castrate you and then march you across the desert. And, right, so you go through all this, so you, you pray to get out of captivity or out of danger or whatever, instead you land in danger, you have a massive scar physically, emotionally, yeah. the PTSD has to be real, and you're still ended up in captivity anyway. Yep. All right, so this is a big example of prayer right off the bat, not going well, but that doesn't seem to deter Daniel. 
Obviously, there's other stories that are quite big about prayer with Daniel in the book. Some of the more obvious is when he prays, even when they make a law, don't do it. But I want to actually skip to one of my favorite prayers of Daniel in Daniel chapter 9, which is another example where he's praying this big covenantal prayer. But this is within the context of Daniel's now at the latter end of his life, and he's trying to pray to figure out when will Israel's captivity end. This captivity he probably prayed as a 17-year-old, please don't let it happen. Well, now it's happened. Now he's studying the book of Isaiah. He wants to know when will this end? Can I get out of this? And it's interesting, as successful as Daniel is, as deep as a relationship as he has with God, he's basically told that the answer to his prayer is going to come after his life, so he doesn't even get to see it. And then a full understanding of his answer isn't going to come in his lifetime. Mm. So this is an example of prayer where he's, he's like, well, yes, it's a great thing you're praying for, and yes, I will answer this, but you're not going to see it happen. Yeah. And you're not going to fully understand how I'm going to do it, even in your lifetime. Well, that's two very interesting ways to approach prayer, that if I'm honest with myself, I wouldn't like either of them. Nope. And Daniel had to deal with that basically his entire life. Yes. Daniel's almost an example of every single prayer he makes that's recorded, at least, doesn't end the way you would expect it to. Or hope for, for him. Like, you want to talk about a tenacious faith? There you go. Like, most of us are like... Uh, yeah, my, that was, a, that prayer was a no last week. All right, cool. I'm atheist for the next month. Like it's, it's, it's just straight like <laughs> in practice, if not in, uh, yes, belief. like it, it is, that was a half joke, but yeah, like it takes much less for a lot of us to walk away from faith altogether. And here he is getting some answers. Yes, but they're not at all what he would like that. That feels like it would almost be like slamming your head against some form of a brick wall. Um, or against a stone over a line. Yeah, exactly. Thing. So. All right, give us your last example. Yes, and my last one is, again, from a, from a character that in the Western Bible probably is somewhere around the middle of the First Testament. In the Jewish order of Scripture, actually, he's very near the end, like the penultimate book, actually, and it's Nehemiah. Okay, and one thing about Nehemiah is we see another form of prayer that we don't see much recorded in Scripture, and that is what I like to call the instantaneous in-the-moment prayer. In fact, his book starts off with that, where basically he's in a situation that's potentially bad for him, Mm. in that he's upset about the condition of Israel now that some people have gone back after some captivity has, period of captivity has passed, and it's a disaster, it's a train wreck. And he's just gotten a report about it, and he's all upset and kind of crying and about this. But this is bad because he's doing this while he's at work. And he's at work in a job that you really shouldn't look like you're upset or nervous about something because he's the cupbearer of the king. And the cupbearer was not just a guy that walked around with the cup and gave it to the guy. It was really a risky, high-end job because so many people tried to kill monarchs by poisoning them. So basically, any drink that was brought the king, they had someone they really trusted, was supposed to take it and take a drink first and wait a little bit to see if they croak. Basically, it's your failsafe, the canary in the trench, if you will, while they're digging sapper tunnels. And, And there you go. And so if you're the king and you see the guy that's carrying your cup look like he's really nervous or something's really wrong, probably not good. And the king does notice that something's wrong, as you probably would. And he goes, what's wrong? What, what's up? And at that moment, Nehemiah, I believe, realizes he's in a very risky situation. And it says that he lifted his thoughts to the Lord and basically gives a prayer in his mind quietly 
is what the implication is immediately like, God, give me wisdom. What do I say? Help me get through this. And then he proceeds to explain and it turns out decently for him. And then the story continues. But my point, this is another example of prayer where it's on the fly. You weren't planning for it. It hits something that hits in an instant and he does it rather quickly. I don't think this is a long drawn out prayer. It probably lasted a second, two seconds, definitely less time. I'm Mm -hmm. sure than me describing this. And, and yet it, it works out okay. And of course, he's obviously praying at other points in the book as well, when he faces a whole lot of crises that just yeah. happen over and over and over again, that uh, the answers don't seem to come readily apparent to him. He prays these prayers, and it's not like God gives him directives on what to do. And these are life or death matters, not only just for him, but for the church, for God's people, but he's not getting clear answers and he's got to navigate this. So these were just three examples that come to me of the kinds of prayers that we see uh, initially through scripture. So that's your first testament. There we go. So here's for, for an abrupt transition. Here's, here's where the problem is with, with, with praying for signs and, and praying for something that is kind of this undefined end in mind of God, what do you want me to do? The problem comes when we use these signs from God as non-negotiables when making our decisions. In other words, I will not move. It's not that the sign. It, it's not that the sign is the non-negotiable. It's that it's that I won't move without a sign. Period. That the existence of a sign or some sort of tell from God um, is what will be the determining factor in in these decisions that I make. Um, this is so many won't move without some form of solid proof that they should go in that direction. Now, once again, in a hundred percent of cases, this isn't true. In a lot of cases, it is. In some cases, there are people that really do. Uh, I have a, um, a couple who is involved in my church. They're amazing. I love them to death. Um, they're incredible human beings, incredible Christians, and their faith is is like infectious um, in the good way. And they, after you just talk yeah, about, loving they, they talk about, uh, they, they'll, you ask them their story of how they ended up moving here and they will, they will openly tell you through, through tears of joy and just this amazing story of how God just worked in so many different ways, uh, that, that lined up for them to be here, uh, that lined up for them to move to Chattanooga. Um, there are other friends of mine that talk about this, you know, they had this list of things that they said, God, if, if you want this to happen, here's a list of things that need to happen in order for me to know that this is really what you want me to do. Sometimes when used appropriately, um, that can, that works. I'm not, but it, it's not necessarily like a, it works or it doesn't work. It's more of a, it's going to be a case by case basis with God on whether or not that's what he does. Um, if he's willing to go by that laundry list of things that need to happen and move out of the way or not. Like, uh, and some of these things are usually more reasonable than others, right? So for example, when I accepted a job at my university, uh, when I was leaving my churches, one of the things that I prayed for God was, uh, the, was to make sure that the finances would come that would allow me to break my lease and not go more into debt by d- to do so, right? That everything would be provided for in order to make this move happen. And everything was provided for. In fact, people like not broke policy or bent policy, but basically went against traditional policy and practice in order to ensure that I could that 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 could happen for me. Um, That's the kind of thing I'm talking about. Um, It usually is a matter of responsibilities and contracts and agreements and promises that that need to be kind of settled before someone can move. 
Um, but other times, I think this is this is more much more nefarious. Um, this is and uh, this is the this is kind of the most egregious case that I can think of. But the the moments where we pray for God's will, so that it's not our responsibility if things go bad. So God then becomes mm. the scapegoat when things you know if things uh, go south really quick at some point in my journey. Because, well, God, you told me to do this. God, you told me to make this decision. God, you told me to date this person. You told me to marry this person. You told me to take this job or to sell this house or to go to this school or whatever. So this is your fault. Well, we, all, we also use that, kind of going back again to what you're saying, the non-negotiable signs. A lot of times, and I've been guilty of this, we'll make some sort of ridiculous sign expecting in the back of our head that it won't happen as an excuse to not have to do the thing we feel yep. like God is pretty clearly asking us to yep. do. So we're like, well, if you really want me to do that, then make a green Ford Fiesta drive down and hit my mailbox and the guy hop out and have been a pizza delivery guy and go, I'm sorry, I ruined all the pizza. Would you like these? Yeah, no, that exactly. That a hundred percent. You know, And we're like, and we're like, well, that won't happen. So now I'm absolved from having to listen to what he said, because if he had really wanted it, he would have made that happen, even though there's a bazillion other signs or evidences that I probably should be going in that way. Yes. And again, I almost like to say, piggybacking what you said, it's not just not wanting to take responsibility if it goes bad. It's us not wanting to take responsibility, period. Correct. Um, it is it is a way to avoid that ownership of our own lives and our decisions, to be honest. Um, but I think I think the the even you know one step further to this is that uh, we just don't want it to go bad or face hardship at all. And I think there's this kind of creeping belief. We I think we've talked about these kind of culturally ingrained beliefs before. Uh, the idea of you kind of operate under a belief system that you don't like profess with your with your mouth so uh, for a lot of people the, the karma is one of those things where we like what did i do to anger god what did i do to deserve this most people don't most people would say not most but a lot of christians would say yeah i don't believe that my actions directly make god come and punish me or not because god loves me regardless of the actions and whatever but then when something happens something terrible happens we our first reaction might be why um you know what what did i do to deserve this that's what I mean by a culturally ingrained belief. And uh, one of those culturally ingrained beliefs is that if I'm following God, nothing bad will happen. And so because I want this... And then your karma runs over your dogma and you realize that's correct. not true. Um, I love that saying so much. Um, but, it, uh, you know, it is a faulty belief that, God, that following God lessens or guarantees little to no hardship. And that is, um, it is, it is entirely faulty. And a truth mixed with error is still error. Um, and can still be incredibly harmful. Um, and it's not that I would say the intent to not take responsibility is is a bad intent, um, like objectively speaking. But I would say that not wanting things to go badly and not wanting hardship to come isn't necessarily a bad thing. But expecting that it won't come because you are following God, that's where it becomes a bad thing. So those are those are two of the classic ways that I see it happen, where... You know, I, I've seen friends of mine pray for things for years, for years they've prayed for something. And when that opportunity finally came to them, they said, hold up, I need to go pray about this for a few days or a week or so. And I'm like, dude, you've, you've, you've been praying for that. 
Yeah, you've been asking for years, and now it's right here, and you still yeah. Won't like, take it. at what point do you do you go? This is the answer. This is the sign that someone gave me the thing that I was praying for. Well, this is kind of like the the illustration you were meaning to say, and you chopped it up or chopped it out. Yes, you axed it I axed from the it. program. I it. Yes, yes, yes. Um, but Gideon, yeah, does this thing, and it looks just as dumb because he's first of all the whole conversation where he asked for the sign is stupid not that asking for a sign is necessarily stupid but he's sitting here and he starts having this conversation with god and the first thing he does before he asks for a sign is basically complain that god never talks to people anymore mm. and god has shown up and is having a one he's having a one-on-one conversation with even if you don't believe it's god at least an angel and his argument is yeah well Angels and God and whatever the spirits, they don't show up to talk to us anymore about this, blah, 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 blah. So you can already tell he's not really in a very receptive mood for the Lord's will. But then he comes up with a sign when God tells him what he would like to do. And he goes, okay, fine. This is one of the more famous stories in the Bible, or infamous, depending on who you ask. He goes, okay, I'm going to put this fleece out, and I'm going to pray, and I want the ground to be dry and the fleece to be wet. And then I'll know if that's true. And he comes back the next day, and of course, the fleece is wet and the ground is dry. And he goes, oh, I'm an idiot. I forgot about science. I can't really trust this. Of course, if the dew lands, it's going to stay in the fleece more than it would the ground. The sun would dry the ground sooner. So I'd like it to flip. I'd like the fleece to be dry and the ground to be wet. Mm. And then the next day, God does that. And then he's still not satisfied. And he's like, well, actually, no, I'd like another sign. Okay, so... It's kind of like your friend, like you've been praying about this. And every time God answers, you're like, uh, no, wait, actually, I need to pray about it again. I need to switch the sign. I'm still not hundred percent sure. And you could, you could just keep that cycle going at nauseam. Yep, constantly. Well, and, and I would add too, I think, uh, another side of this is, uh, many do it out of fear. Um, and there, I, I would argue there's, there's two types of fear there. There's a vertical fear and there's a horizontal fear. The vertical fear is that they don't want to anger or disappoint God by doing something out of his will. Right. I, I've, you know, and, and I once again comes from the faulty belief that, you know, you were earning your favor with God anyway. But it is a genuine fear of like, I don't want to. I'm afraid of doing something that is outside the bounds of the way that God wants me to live. And I don't think that statement on its own is a bad statement. I don't I mean, I don't want to live outside out of harmony with what God is want, the way that God wants me to live. Right. Like that's a basic thing that Christians want. Um, That's the. Yeah, but a des- but a desire not to upset the Lord and a fear of it are two Correct. different. That's what I'm saying. Thanks. Um, that and so the desire to follow God's will is not necessarily a bad thing, but when you're afraid that you will somehow anger God because you are not, um, that is that is a little bit different, I think. Um, so I agree with that. Um, so that's the vertical fear, right? That's the that's the God to man fear or the man to God fear. The horizontal fear is. I have this big decision and I know that my friends and my family won't like it. So I'm looking for something concrete from God that I can show my friends or my family so that they, uh, so that they know that I'm, that I am supposed to go through with it. Right. Well, basically it's the shift. Correct. God told me I I don't have a choice. My hands are tied. I have to. Yeah. Which Gideon does by the way, with his prayers as well, because there comes a point where he realizes he has to tear down his father's idol and he's not too thrilled with that idea. And when all the crowd gets upset, because the whole town's upset that this whole altar and stuff gets destroyed, he's basically like, mm. you know. Yes. He tries to he tries to push it off on something yes. else. Um, and I would think another, and, and 
hear me out. The reason we're listing these off the way that I am is, is I'm hoping that all of us can see our, a little bit of ourselves in some of these, maybe one, maybe many. I know I'm guilty of a lot of these. Um, we're listing these off as a way to cast kind of a wide net. Um, if, if you find yourself in one of these positions, know that like, I'm not condemning you. Henry's not condemning you. God's not condemning you, but we're hoping to just kind of shine a light on an area of faith where all of us have room to grow. That's what we're trying to do here. Um, the next note that I have is we do this out of a lack of self-esteem or confidence, but I think what I actually want to say here is I want to flip that, uh, and say, actually we do it out of a lack of faith. I think many people will use prayer specifically because they lack faith. And um, basically, in, in the same example I gave of my friend who was given this opportunity after years and years of prayer, right? Same idea of, I don't have, I don't have faith right now that this is, this is what God really wants. I need to go back to pray about this. Is this really the thing that God is, is wanting? Um, or the, or it's a, I, I want to say if you've been praying for something long enough to happen I, for a lot of people, their faith can wane a bit and they'll start to believe that it's, you know, this is too good to be true. It won't happen at all. And so they doubt God. And so they go back and pray for a sign that this is the right thing because they doubt that this is even from God. So it's this kind of cynicism uh, and and this kind of jadedness that, that comes uh, uh, across an apathy that comes uh through the through that waiting through that constant waiting in prayer a seeming unanswered prayer so i think a lack of faith actually is uh can be a reason that we're driven to prayer and we use prayer to cover that lack of faith that god is doing what he said he would do or that that this sign is actually real <laughs> this is what god wants me to do so i think that's another one um henry i don't know if you have any more that you would want to add here but that would be my last kind of submission well no i think we're i think we're casting the net pretty wide and getting a good subset of that. As I said, I think a lot of, a lot of prayer though, when it comes down to, at least in the West, at least in the circles that I've been in, a lot of it though seems to be an exclusion of culpability, a, a lack of wanting to take responsibility for one's actions, both in faith and yep. in life. And so it's really sad because on the one side, and I'm speaking for myself, I don't pray enough. I'm just going to mm -hmm. go out and be honest right now. And I'm minister. I know my prayer life is nowhere near where I'd like it. I, 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 I trust to myself way. I'm on that end of the spectrum. I trust myself way too much for way too many things. Same. But on the flip side, there's a lot of people that I think cloak that same, maybe self-trust or, or like you said, self lack of self-esteem or too much self-esteem or confidence, et cetera in the piety of prayer as an excuse for not actually, as you said, exercising faith or having a seriously good walk as yeah, well. Absolutely. And I, I would agree with you. My, I would say that too. The safe answer is, you know, I, my prayer life isn't where I'd want it to be. Really what I mean is um, if, if I'm being like a hundred percent honest, I barely pray by comparison to most others. Um, I don't open my Bible nearly in, in comparison to most others. I, I have allowed probably too much is your faith yeah. supposed to be a I've, comparison? I've allowed too much work to kind of creep in and too many projects to creep in to the point that I no longer was making time for, uh, for Bible study. There was a point at, there was a point where it'd been probably a year and a half to two years that I had, that it had been since I'd opened the Bible for anything outside of sermon prep. And, um, 
Like that's that's what I mean when I say how bad that is. So I'm I'm trying to be transparent in a way that like I'm not saying like that's okay. I'm just saying that's reality for where I've been. Um but so speaking of reality, now that we've kind yeah. of talked about prayer being a slippery slope for believers in many ways, and and kind of hinted at how we should be treating this area of faith, we should probably transition into, okay, well, how does one treat this area? What are concrete steps we can do to ensure that we're praying for God's will correctly, or that we are seeking the deity's will, or we're in line with it, harmony with it? Uh, how how do we not use this as a crutch and an excuse? And, yeah, and and all so of I that. think the I think the first thing that we need to do is is kind of is check ourselves and ask why why am I asking God for this sign? Why am I why am I not confident that this is a direction I should go? Or um, you know what is stopping me from doing this? Is it that I don't want to? Uh, is it that I'm afraid of the outcome? What is it? Because if we don't, if, if we don't have that period of self-evaluation, then I don't, then we'll never figure out why our, either our prayers don't seem to be quote working or we'll never actually deal with the area of our hearts that God may want us to, to wrestle with. Right. Um, in, in light of what you had said, many people, um, I just lost my train of thought. I had it and I lost it. This is like the fourth time I've lost it. <laughs> I just never brought it up the other times. Um, but many people will, I'm going to, I'm going to get it back one of these days. Um, I don't know how, but I will, I don't know where it went. doesn't matter. Point is self-reflection in any area of a big decision or a small decision is really important. Why am I going to God with this the way that I am? Is there a different way that I could be going to God with this? Or is this the only option that I have? Is there really no other thing that's, that's happening? It's not that God doesn't want to act. It's not that God doesn't want to do things for his people. It's that, um, it's that God isn't this cosmic vending machine that's just going to dole out signs and, and, and things whenever you want them. And God has, here's the point that I lost. God has created us with a certain amount of discernment of wisdom that we would grow in Christ, that we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds as, as we, as we grow closer to God. And if we are if that is the case, then at some point we should be able to put that discernment and that wisdom that God grants us into practice. At some point, I think that God says, yeah, you know what? I could bless and make either of these options work. So why don't you pick the one that you just want to do? Because I can take this and make it something amazing, regardless of what, of, of which one you choose. And I want, and, and, God has given us, what's amazing is God has given us responsibility in our own lives. And so there is, we talked about this with Job, where Job, uh, where God lets Job, gives Job the opportunity to speak for himself and defend himself. And that being a beautiful aspect of the story of Job. You can go listen to the, the, the Bible problem on Job episode that we did. But this is, uh, that's a real thing. And so I think the self-reflection of asking, why am I going to God this way? And what do I want out of this? Um, that is huge in in figuring out how we actually approach this. So, the um, the next thing I would ask is, um, what hmm, what would you say is something really important for people to keep in mind as they approach 
you know, this area of their faith and trying to figure out and discern God's will. What is, what is one thing that you would keep in mind along those lines? Well, one, I want to just piggyback right off of something you said, and it would kind of tie into the point I was going to bring up. Um, one thing we want you to bring up is from a spiritual standpoint, study relevant scriptures or study the scripture about whatever the thing is that you're going to pray about or wanting an answer to or whatnot. And along the lines with that, one that comes to my mind that actually you kind of tied right into it was Psalm 32, 8 and 9, which basically says in as many words, poetically, what you just said. And for those of you who don't remember those verses off the top of your head, it's it, the first one's pretty popular. The second one usually gets dropped off of it. Go figure. And then we miss an even more important point. The first is in Psalm 32, verse 8, it's, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you would go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Most everyone quotes, you know, he will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. But the, the next verse right after it, it's, I, I like even better. Do not be as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near to you. Mm. Okay, now here's what I mean by this. The, the, the first thing is, once you've studied God's written word and what it has to say on a particular matter, you have to make a decision knowing that God promises to give us promptings as to what his will is. That's what he said, I will instruct you and I will teach you in the way you should go, okay? But here's the thing, like you said, God gives us reasoning powers that set us apart from every creature on earth. And it's not wrong to use those gifts when they're not in conflict with his written word. Okay. It may not feel fancy and magical. Okay. But mm. we're called to live in God's love, not in spiritual omens and supernatural events. Okay. God gave us a brain to use and he may not give us all the details. Okay. And it's not that God isn't interested in every detail of our lives yet. In some situations, there may be more, more than one acceptable option within his will and having us follow an exact script defies the concept of free will to begin with yet alone, you know, let alone negating the ability to grow through the process of decision-making. Right. And this is why I like verse nine, where it says, don't basically, this is a very polite Bible way of saying, don't be a Jack rear. Right. Cause it literally says that don't be a horse or a mule. Okay. Whose trappings include a bit and a bridle. Basically, a lot of times we approach prayer wanting God to put a bit and bridle in our mouth and direct our lives by yanking the, mm -hmm. you know, the harness, this direction, that direction, this direction, that, and God's like, I didn't make you a horse or a mule. You know, yeah. you shouldn't need me to drag you around life to make every single decision. Again, not that he's not interested in all of the details, right? And, there, and there's, there's different times and stuff, but use your brain study, see what his written word says, but as long as the decision you're making is not in conflict with what is written, trust that he will give you promptings and make a choice. Yep. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. So I agree with those. I, were you going to say more or was that, well, was no, that I mean, crescendo that, to, well, that was, that was a crescendo definitely to cool. To that. No, that's fine. I just wanted to make sure I wasn't going to change and say what I was going to say, having interrupted you, if you weren't finished with your thought. Oh, well, I'm finished with that thought. I have something else I could pull okay, up, but perfect. go to your next No, no, thought. no, you're fine. So I, I would say for me that there are three concrete steps. There are three questions that I ask 100% of the time, every time I am trying to find out if something that I'm, if, if a decision I'm trying to make is something that is within God's will or not. Um, and there is somewhat of an order to these. 
and that only the first question matters. The other two, as far as the order you ask it in, the other two don't really. They can ask them in either either order. Uh, the first, basically, what these are meant to do are meant to filter down the decisions and filter down the options so that you can so you can narrow your choices down. Usually, by the end of this, I kind of know what direction I'm going just because it's invited me to think a lot more on the decision just from different perspectives. So the first question I ask um, every single time is this, will this bring me or those around me closer to God or further or neutral? That question right there can pretty much determine that right there will knock out a whole ton of options usually if there's several, right? Um, because God, the, the trajectory of a Christian's life is that they would be growing closer to God and that they would be drawing others closer to God as well. So the first question is, will this draw me and or those around me closer to God or further from him? If the answer is yes, then I keep going uh, for closer to God. If the answer is further, then right there I can stop. Um, now here are the other two questions. Uh, first, evaluate how it lines up with the passion that God has placed in my heart whether that is the, a passion for a specific group of people uh, or a specific social group, racial group, whether that's a, a passion for a specific type of work, um, whatever it is that when someone asks you about it, your heart just gets set on fire. Like you, Someone has to basically put some flex tape or flex seal over your mouth to get you to shut up uh, because you, are just, you cannot stop talking about it. That is a passion um, that... Um, I won't say 100% of the time God is placed on your heart, but in many cases it can be. And um, so find out, does this line up with the group that God has made me passionate about, the people or the thing that God has made me passionate about? And then the last question I ask is I evaluate whether or not, you know, what option, uh, what option out of my, my choices is consistent with the skills and abilities that I have, the talents that God has invested in me. Uh, one of the cu the couple I was referring to earlier that moved to Chattanooga, uh, when they were living in a different state, one of the things that that kind of God did with them was uh, connected the uh, the wife with a barista where she lived, and she ended up by accident, kind of falling into this whole coffee world, you mean and like learning a grind? about how. Yes, uh, she went on the coffee grind. Um, just learning about roasting techniques and learning about all these the whole process, everything. It's like an art form. Um, and she, she just was embedded in it and there was no reason for, there was no relevant reason for it at the time. And then she moved here and they started doing this church plant that, that we're now involved in. And now she heads the entire coffee ministry has built this thing up to the point where like, I would dare say that our coffee at, at my church is better than, uh, a lot of stores, a lot of like coffee shops and places that you could go to get it. So like, it's one of those things of this is an option. When she moved here, the option to start coffee was suddenly in line with this talent that God had actually given her. She is roasting it, my friends. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the Now, the downside here um, is that this is not 100% consistent. Um, and I will point to a biblical example for that, um, which is Moses. Uh, Moses's talent was not public speaking. <laughs> and yet God called him to go up to Pharaoh and speak publicly demanding that he would let God's people go, let the Israelites go. And not only that, then lead all of the Israelites, all 600 some odd thousand of them and to be this spokesperson for God. Um, God was calling him to do something that was outside of his skill set. And granted God then provided Aaron and a mouthpiece and like God did provide for that to be the, 
to happen. But that's what I'm saying. In those cases of where God calls you to do something that's actually beyond your skills and abilities, that's where God is really calling you to exercise your faith um, in, in a different way, in a, in a more powerful and profound way, I think. But it is, uh, know that God will usually figure out, will usually provide for those skills and abilities to either come as you go or will provide someone along walking alongside you in order to fill the gaps that that are in your skill set. Yeah, but those you, three questions usually help me out a lot. I, I was going to say, I was going to push back on the Moses illustration just a little to make a, an additional point about people who you have the skills and abilities and you have to be willing to use them in the spiritual sphere and you might yes. be resisting. So for example, with Moses, I would, I would somewhat disagree. He had the ability to speak. He was well-trained as an orator. That's what f- people in Pharaoh's household would have been educated to do. And we see later on in life with Israel, he has no problem speechifying and, and just lecturing and, and, and going to town. His problem was he didn't want to do it. And he makes excuses. And that's one reason actually why in the beginning of Exodus, God actually gets upset with him because he realizes he's just making excuses and God even gives him Aaron. He's like, well, then fine. You can talk to Aaron and Aaron will tell him. He still didn't take it away from him. He still made him speak. He said, you speak to Aaron and then Aaron's going to relay it. So you still don't get out of this. You can't just sit back and not say anything. Well, yeah, but there is. Okay, fine. You can disagree with me all you want. You're wrong. Um, <laughs> the, the point what being, the reader, doesn't, it. <laughs> the reader doesn't have access to that information up front. So that's what I'm going to say there. But I will say, I don't think that you can use him being a speechifying people and being a great orator later in Exodus as evidence for him being a great public speaker in the moment that God called him. Oh, I'm because not saying you just, can't grow yeah. into it either. Uh, that's, but th- that was my, that was my whole point was that Moses would eventually grow into being more comfortable doing that, whether or not he was making excuses or he really couldn't do it. So I still maintain my point. Um, that being said, the three, the three questions I ask as in a summary are, will this bring me or those around me closer to God or further or neutral? Usually there is no neutral. Usually it's closer or further. W- what option is most consistent with the skills or abilities that I have? And how does this line up with the passion that God has placed in my heart? And then Henry, yours uh, were study relevant scripture. Yes, uh, and I hadn't done any more after that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, no, yeah. F- uh, finalize all of yours, and then we'll kind of close this out. Well, I was just going to say, the next thing, which is what we'd probably have to do to work through issues like Ryan and I disagreeing on Moses' particulars on his speech pathology, would be to find a pathologist. Henry's probably right. No, no, I'm not trying to make that point. I'm just trying to say Proverbs 24, 6 says that there's a multitude in a multitude of counselors, there is wisdom. And here's another thing. You don't have to fight this war by yourself. You were never expected Mm. to have to do it by yourself. We're so many lone rangers out here, again, trusting in ourselves. And there's been a lot of decisions that I've been not 100% sure what God's will is, or if I'm seeing the signs I asked for clearly or whatever. And one thing that's been very useful for me is to find several different people that I actually trust or have evidence, at least as best I can tell, that God is working in their life and, you know, they know what they're doing. They're not like falling apart in the same area as me, not that we all don't have problems. But I go to other people and I talk through it and tell them what I'm seeing or think I'm seeing or Mm -hmm. weighing the evidence and whatnot and go, hey, how would you perceive this? Am I on the right track or am I... Where's my blind spot? What am I missing? Because, you know, a trusted friend, a, a, a parent or a loved one. I mean, I can't tell you how many times 
I mean, this has happened between Ryan and I. We're friends. Where I've, I've called I've, him. I've called you so many times, being like, "Am I right for feeling this way, or am I wrong, or am I on the right track here, or can you talk me off this ledge?" Like, this has happened several times. Well, and I wasn't even meaning on Ryan's part. I was going to flip it to me, where I've had to call you and be like, "Am I just kind of like exaggerating this? Have I missed the point?" Yeah. Right? Because you know, people who know you, they can call you on your BS. Right. Yes. Or they would have the ability to be like, dude, you've been praying about that for 12 years and it's finally come. And now you're going to go do this pious little I'm going to pray for three weeks thing. Just accept the job, you know, or or whatever. People yes. can call you yeah. on that. And so that, that's what I'm saying. Uh, there's in a multitude of counselors, there is wisdom. So another mm -hmm. thing, when you ask the questions that Ryan's asked, when you've studied relevant scriptures, I, I would say go seek some outside trusted input. And don't just go, I think we've made this a point in several other topics and other podcasts that we've recorded already at this point, but make sure you're not just choosing people you think are going to tell you exactly what you want to hear. Now, don't go choose somebody that you know is just going to cut you down and tear you apart. We don't want that either. Hopefully, again, use your discernment on this, but go find trusted people that have kind of earned the right to speak into your life and, and ask them, hey, Here's the evidence. What what do you see from this? How does how's that going to work out? And and use yeah. that to help you with your decision making. Yeah, absolutely. So I agree with that. And then you had you had touched on Psalm thirty two. I think both of us touched on Psalm thirty two yeah, eight and nine. Uh, eventually, once you ask the questions Ryan has, once you've studied the relevant scripture, once you've talked with counselors, you know, a multitude of counselors and wisdom, including, by the way, you know, therapists would be a great thing. Haha, yep. I had to shoehorn that in here hey. somewhere. Go talk to a therapist about why you might be asking for things the way you are using prayer the way you do because of, you know, whatever things we're all going through in our life. But anyway, once you've done all that, again, don't, this is going to be a great way to start closing this off. Don't be a mule. That yes. was the point. Don't be a donkey. Okay. God doesn't want to put a bridle in your mouth and drag you around the faith journey, right? Trust him, make a decision once you've done all of this study and all that, and trust him to get you through it. And I guess part of that would, again, I think a lot of people probably struggle with that last part because they don't understand salvation, which would be a whole mm -hmm. different topic. Uh, I, I like to stress, if you fully understand covenant, and if you don't know what I mean every time I bring up covenant. I'm definitely a covenantal theology guy. Uh, it transformed my life, but that's a topic for another time. The, the covenants, Jesus has already taken care of your life record, so you have the freedom to grow through mistakes. Let's say that you make a decision. Let's just, let's just throw it out there. This is the big fair one has. Let's say you do all the questions we just said. You say all the, you get all the multitude of counselors. You studied it. You were just certain. You make a decision, and it's still wrong. It still doesn't mm. work out. Does that mean you're toast? I would like to say no. no. More like a bagel. Nah. Not toast. Yeah, scramble your eggs. All right, so... <laughs> but here's the thing. Think about it this way. Any scrambled, you know, any egg that's cracked can turn into an omelet. Yep. Okay, my... my that was a really dorky... I, I really want to... Now I really want to insert that, uh, that Sylvester Stallone, uh, the, uh, that big speech from Rocky... Yes, um, about getting about it's not about it's not about uh, getting hit and and uh, and staying down. It's about getting hit and see how many times you can get back up. Like that whole legendary speech yeah. that I am 
butchering right now. Yeah, exactly. So go go look that up on YouTube. But our our my point is, the mistake isn't the end unless you make it that way. I always like to say, abandon the road isn't the end unless you drive off of it and fail to make the turn. Hmm. Right. When, when you're driving down, you made the decision, I'm going down this road and then it goes the wrong direction than you thought. Well, you can either stop and turn around or you can go with it and let the GPS correct and find another way out. But whatever metaphor, mixed metaphor you want to use it, in our understanding, I believe Ryan and my understanding of the gospel, mistakes aren't the end. You can actually, our God is a God of great redemptive ability. He can take the worst mm. that the world, the devil, ourselves throw at ourselves. And if we let him, he can turn it into something that actually can be for our good in the end. Not that he willed that or those mistakes and not that you won't have scars and things along the way, but he, it's not the end. All right. Absolutely. So if you didn't like the choice, make another one, but go forward with that confidence that, you know, that's part of life. Make the best decision you can and trust that God will see you through, mistake or not. Awesome. I love it. That's a great way to end this one. And I do hope once again that if, if you know, you were in, you, you found yourself in one of the pieces of the net that we cast earlier, please know we're not condemning anyone here, but it is important that we shine a light on where we can so that we can figure out how to make things better and keep growing. So we hope that there you've identified some way that you can grow and perhaps this was able to help you with a big decision you're facing now. And we both hope and pray that that is, uh, that is the case or that you can pocket this episode and go back and listen to it when it does come time to make a big decision. So thank you all so much for listening. Henry, I just want to say I love you. Um, and oh, I, love you too. Uh, I, have a, I have a section in here. This is Final Thoughts Conversation and I love you. Um, it's so called Social I, Distancing is getting to all of us. Yes, absolutely. So thank you everyone for listening. And we'll see you next week.